You're always the most negative person on earth and you never shut up about it. I'm sick of hearing your mouth. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we help a listener deal with a grouchy postdoc whose beaker is always half empty. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 73. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Erneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hey there, Dan. We're back again. We are back. I'm fresh off of a very brief vacation. I follow your Twitter feed. I know exactly what you're up to at all times. Yeah, I went to the beach this week. Well, I went to the beach for about 30 hours. That's enough, probably, to get a sunburn. Yeah, it was not bad. I will revisit the uh, beach theme momentarily, though. Dan, I was at Virginia Commonwealth University at the end of last week for a career symposium, and I got to meet a couple of our listeners. I enjoyed enjoyed talking to everyone there about finding the right career for you. We're a big hit at VCU, are we? Well, it was just cool. I was uh, I just finished up lunch, and um, a couple grad students there uh, came up and were listeners of the show, so it was really fun to, to meet and talk to them. Well, hello to all of our friends and listeners at VCU. It's good to know you. Yeah. Let's talk about this beer we're drinking. Ethanol. What did you pick out? So we're doing something totally different. Lots of firsts since we're having our moratorium against IPAs until summer. Um, we are having moratorium on the show, not in my life. No, that's true. I've <laughs> drank plenty of IPAs outside of the show. But this week we're doing something different. This is from Sierra Nevada. This is the Otrave's Ghost Style Ale. I don't know what that is. I didn't understand very many of those words. All right. Well, let me break it down, Dan. Are you familiar with a ghost? No, I have not heard of it. All right, so what this is, this is the brief way you could describe it is a sour beer. Oh, I like sour beers. Good. Yeah, so these originated from Goslar, Germany. Typically, these had a salty flavor due to the high salinity of the river Ghost, although I'm pretty sure this one was uh, brewed either in Colorado or North Carolina. So, and, and likely the original Ghost Ales did not have cactus or grapefruit. And this does, I take it? Um, it does. Do they actually add salt to this? Because I'm I'm picking up, I mean, there's a certainly a sour flavor. And sometimes if you have something really sour, it can also taste a little salty. But I can't tell that it's actually salty. Yeah, I'm not sure that, I know the traditional ghost ales had the salt. I don't know that this one has salt. This does not taste particularly salty to me. Yeah, so these are typically brewed with 50 to 60% malted wheat, and usually they are unfiltered, which gives them that cloudy color. This one doesn't look all that cloudy to me. Unfiltered like this podcast? <laughs> everything we everything we say goes to tape. That's exactly right. NC13. That's Something probably like that, are. yeah. Um, Don't keep our clean rating on iTunes. But, but the characteristic uh, that these are most known for is a Low bitterness and a tang, kind of a, a sourness. It's definitely sour. Um, I couldn't place grapefruit in there, but it's it's definitely sour. And I like a sour beer. It's I think it's a refreshing summertime beer. It is. You don't look like you're uh, a fan, though. You know, I I keep wanting to like these. These are getting more and more popular. Yeah, this is part of your hipster cred. You got no, you got to enjoy a really sour beer. It really is. I think where the IPAs were really all the rage. You know. Uh, yeah, what yep. probably five years ago. So mainstream now. Now you're seeing more and more of these sour beers popping up on the 
on the taps, then I don't know. It's, I, I still think it's for me. What's next? What's that? You know, we, we did bitter. That was kind of, that was the cool thing. And now we're doing sour. It's really going to be like salty beers next. And then it, maybe just umami beers. Oh, maybe so. I don't know that I've had a salty beer. But one thing I thought was interesting about this is often these ghost ales will use ground coriander seed. Uh, are you getting any coriander? I have not gotten any coriander. Yeah, I don't know if I would. Okay. <laughs> but I don't think I get well, any we'll, of that. We'll nurse this and uh, see how the rest of the night goes. High praise. High praise. All right, Dan. Uh, are you ready for some science in the news? I'm ready. Okay, so science in the news this week is going to tie into my beach trip. I just got back from. Okay. And also, we're going to build upon our science in the news from the last episode. Oh, no. We, we did get some feedback. <laughs> we did about get some the, feedback. The, people, the science in the people news. People enjoyed the uh, physics of defecation. It, it's changing lives around the world, clearly. I think so. Along the, Around the water coolers uh, worldwide, I'm I think. I'm a little worried to hear you say that you are going to try to tie that into something else. Actually, Dan, do you mind hanging on for 12 seconds? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> All right, Dan. So so when I was at the beach, uh, one thing that, that I enjoy besides, you know, enjoying time on the beach is the pool. The pool at the beach? Well, my kids love the pool at the hotel. So oh, they don't go to the actual ocean. Well, you know, no, they like the ocean, but they also like the pool. Do your kids like to swim in the yeah, pool? Yeah, I love it. Well, turns out in a release by the CDC this week, they wanted us to know that outbreaks of... Cryptosporidium, also known as crypto, have doubled since 2014. Okay, and and this is a doubling, like there were two cases, now there are four, so I don't need to worry about it? Well, I'll get into that. So, you might not think that fecal matter is very common in the pool water. I hope it's not too well. Okay, yeah, uh, I didn't think about it before at all, so now that you say that, I'm starting to get worried. Well, so the CDC did a study back in 2013, and they discovered that 58% of public pools that they tested ended up being positive for fecal bacteria, uh, most commonly E. coli. Okay, and that means that... And it's just Are you people, surprised? People didn't shower off, or it means somebody's floating things in the pool? Well, it could be it could be either. It certainly could be from contamination on the How skin. How do we get on this subject again? <laughs> like, too soon. It's pool season. Oh, my gosh. summer. Uh, it doesn't explain last week's science in the news. It's not poop season. Well, I didn't also. I wasn't going to mention this, but it turns out there's a Canadian study that suggested large public pools have an average of about 75 liters of urine. Also, oh, um, okay. We're not going to the pool this year, kids. But it turns out you shouldn't be too worried about all this E. coli in the pool. Um, they actually didn't find things like the 0157H7, but. The real problem can be this cryptosporidium, this parasite also known as crypto. And crypto can be, it's a common cause of diarrheal illness um, and outbreaks that are typically linked to swimming pools um, or other public places where people play in the water. The reason is because it's not easily killed by chlorine and actually in properly treated water, it can survive up to 10 days. If you swallow just a mouthful of water that's contaminated with crypto, it can make otherwise healthy people sick for up to three weeks with watery diarrhea, stomach cramps, nausea, vomiting, and all, obviously that could all lead to de- dehydration. Um, does sunshine kill it? Because pools are outside and UV light, <laughs> anything, nothing? I don't think so. Um, but I think that was sort of what 
gave me a little pause the fact that even if a pool is is upkept properly this crypto spiridium can survive up to 10 days and part of that is due to its life cycle so so this this parasite actually forms this thick-walled oocyst sort of like a spore and upon exiting a host uh, from diarrhea yeah we understood <laughs> stick to the euphemism please uh, this can end up in the water where it can survive, as we mentioned, for quite a long period of time. Um, and then the other problem... Wait, can I just do a public service announcement? <laughs> if you have diarrhea, do not go swimming. <laughs> well, the CDC agrees with you, as we'll okay. say in just a minute. Um, but the other problem, it's long um, survival time in chlorinated water also does not pair well with the fact that a very small exposure ingested can also cause disease. And so the reason I wanted to mention this now, Dan, even though I would have ideally like to leave a little space in between our um, fecal matter subject uh, science in the news was that healthy and safe swimming week began on May 22nd. So we're right in the thick of uh, safe swimming week. Well, you're doing God's work, Josh. Thank you so much. <laughs> so CDC is encouraging swimmers to help protect themselves, their family, their friends from cryptosporidium and other waterborne pathogens uh, in the pool. And so they have some recommendations that swimmers can take, including yourself, um, and your kids to prevent infections while swimming. You're going to tell us what they are? I am. Oh, All right. Good. So especially if you have parents of young children, which you do. That's me. And I do. You can take the following steps. One, it's very important to keep feces out of the water. No. <laughs> I'm reading these verbatim. Are you too. sure? What <laughs> if it's just a little? Uh, well, so number two is do not swim when you have diarrhea. I feel like I just said that. <laughs> you did, Dan. You're, uh, you could have written these. All right. Also, take a rinse shower before you get back into the water. Seems like a good idea. Yeah, but do you think? I mean, you no really one does think, it. No, no. So you're saying you get in the pool. You rinse off the chlorine when you get out of the water, but nobody takes a shower before they get in. No, no. Um, shower with soap before you start swimming. Not going to happen. No. Uh, take a bathroom break every sixty minutes. Outside of the pool, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not just like while you're swimming. Your alarm goes off. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, everybody's clicking the unsubscribe button. I'm so sorry. Our goal the last two weeks, see how many uh, listeners no. we can get rid of. Okay, move on. We're, this is a real announcement yeah, yeah, yeah. for health This reasons. is from the CDC. This is Healthy Swim Week, okay? So we're adults. Here. We're mature. Wash your hands with soap after using the toilet or changing diapers. Great. That's key. Um, do you know, actually, I'm diaper-free for like the last three years. You personally? <laughs> I'm proud of you, Josh. <laughs> children. Big boy. Uh, this, I don't know if this is something that we can do. Uh, check the chlorine level and pH before getting into the water. So you just told me chlorine <laughs> didn't do anything. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess if it's a sub, that, I don't know. So bring your chlorine level strips with you to the pool That's and your pH strips. If your eyes don't turn red and your oh. hair doesn't lighten. Oh, actually, enough. I'm sorry. I should have read ahead. Uh they tell us most superstores, hardware stores, and pool supply stores sell pool test strips. So You're going to be the most annoying parent on earth if you I, show up with your own pool test strips. I recommend all of you go to Amazon.com and purchase some pool test strips. We'll put that in the show notes. If you click through our Amazon link, we'll get a kickback <laughs> to support the show. And you can maintain your intestinal safety this uh, swimming season. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for that valuable information. Uh, uh, this, there's actually one last one, and this this is important. Uh, do not swallow the water you swim in. <laughs> <laughs> I quit. I'm out of here. 
Anyway, this is what the CDC had to say uh, for some safe swimming. Um, also, if- the CDC added, don't eat lead <laughs> and try not to walk into traffic. Well, we will post a link in the show notes. Um, there's a website. It's uh, cdc.gov slash healthywater slash swimming if you want more information on healthy and safe swimming steps. Thank you, Josh, for the obvious science in the news. <laughs> well, so if maybe for us doing our part here on Healthy Swimming Week, if you come down with a stomach illness this summer... Think about if you've been to the public pool and maybe consult your doctor and let them know. Because CDC is trying to track this. So yeah, if you've been drinking your bath water, don't tell anybody. Constant vigilance. Happy pool safety week or whatever it is. All right, Dan, we got an email this week that we wanted to talk about on the show because I think it's a topic that maybe some other people could relate to and learn from. Pretty timely. So the email begins, Greetings, Josh and Dan. I'm currently finishing up an almost two-year lab tech position in a neuroscience lab before going to graduate school. Your podcast has been tremendously helpful and uplifting for someone in my position. It actually helped me pick the grad school that was right for me. I chose to go for the school that had the PIs who I could see being the best mentors instead of the high-powered labs and made sure to talk to as many students as possible. I feel that even though I can't predict everything that can and probably will go wrong in grad school, I can tune into your podcast to know how many people are going through similar things. So thank you. Well, that's cool. First of all, congrats going to grad school. Yeah, and and picking a lab that might actually uh, help you succeed and be happy. That's cool that this person listened to our advice. Uh, Hopefully, we didn't screw up. Yeah, call back in a few (laughs) years and let us know. That was a terrible decision. These high-powered labs were the way to go. (laughs) I should have picked somebody who was a terrible mentor. I think we're going to be safe, Josh. Don't worry about it. I think so. All right, so so what's the question? All right, so here's the question. There's a postdoc in my lab who is tangentially involved in the project that I'm working on. This postdoc has extremely negative views regarding the project. This negative view spans from the amount of time it takes to train animals on this task to the variable results we get with each animal, etc. When I agree, while I agree about some of the points that the postdoc is making and that have always have room for improvement, it's hard for me not to get down about this project. I'm the one directly training the animals and obtaining the results. Given that the training takes six days a week and at least four hours each day, I'm trying to remain positive and not think that I've wasted all of this time. My PI and the postdoc whose project this is remain positive and encouraging. However, the tangentially involved postdoc is someone who I interact more frequently with. So, this is a long-winded way of asking, how does one remain positive regarding their own project while still showing respect to other people's views regarding the project? And is it appropriate for people to comment negatively on other people's projects? And this is signed, Amygdala for Anonymity. All right, so Amigdala's a lab tech, getting ready to go to grad school. That's awesome. Uh, you're going to need Hello PhD for a while, so that's good for us. We'll be here. So there's a postdoc in her lab that she interacts with regularly but isn't directly involved with her project who seems really down on the project for some reason. Yeah, there's something about it that just rubs this postdoc the wrong way, and apparently the postdoc feels the need to talk about it all the time. Yeah, so I think maybe we should we should talk a little bit about that in just a few minutes. But um, however, the PI and the postdoc who seems to be directly working with Amygdala on this project seems to be pretty positive. So what's going on here? I mean, I guess the first thing that comes to mind to me is really wondering why this postdoc, maybe we'll call negative Nancy, uh, cares so much. Yeah, I, my first thought was, is this, um, did this project get taken away from the postdoc or is the post, you know, negative Nancy jealous of somebody else's project? I mean, you, your mind reels and we don't know the situation at all, but 
it'd be interesting to find out if amygdala can ask some very gentle but probing questions about why it is you know what's behind this is it just that the the negative postdoc is looking at this and saying you know i want to help you and i don't want to see you fail or is it just dump on the project week yeah i'm I'm trying to to think through this what kind of situation would there be such that a postdoc in a lab who's not related directly you know has really no skin in the game on this project would feel so strongly about it to regularly really diss it to the person who's actually doing the project well there's clearly a big investment here so it's it's taking six days a week four hours a day to train an animal so this is not like, oh, I'm going to run this experiment and I'll know by Tuesday. This is a long-term project and it's a lot of amygdala's time. So perhaps the postdoc is is looking out for amygdala's time? It could be. It sounds like maybe they're friends, maybe they're close because it sounds like they interact quite a bit even though they're not on the same project. But it's, it's clear that this is unwelcome criticism. This is, you know, amygdala writes in because it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's gotten to the point that it's it's not just... Friendly, uh, friendly banter. You know, we all complain a little bit about yeah, our projects. Little but... gallows humor, like, oh, this, this PCR is going to fail again. Ha ha ha. How's your crappy project going? Ha, yeah. Ha, ha. I think a couple of things I wish I knew were what the relationship between the tangential postdoc and the PI, what their relationship is like. And then also I'd be curious to know what the relationship between the two postdocs in question, uh, the postdoc who is directly related to this project and the 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 negative Nancy postdoc. You know what that means, Josh? What's that? We're going to have to do a stakeout. <laughs> Old style where we sit in the car across the street and eat <laughs> hamburgers. We could dress up like uh, one of those reps yeah. that comes around. Yeah, with the know, little wheelie cart. With the little wheelie cart. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. If you see us in your building, just stay quiet about yeah, it. Yeah, stay quiet. Um, all right. Well, considering the fact that there's no way we can get the answer to those questions. I just told you a way. <laughs> okay. No way that we are actually going to get the answers. Yeah. That's right. No way that will not risk us getting thrown in jail, then, um, you know, there are two pieces of advice that I have, and, and you can pick. You know, one is probably a, a far superior piece of advice than the other, but I'll go ahead and lay them both out. First of all, it sounds like you're leaving the lab soon. So you've completed this two-year technician position, and you're getting ready to go to grad school. Presumably, that's certainly in a different lab, probably at a different institution. So grad school starts in August. So at the most, you're going to be in this lab for another couple of months. Maybe it's not worth rocking the boat. Yeah. Put your headphones in and keep trucking. Yeah. So that that's one piece of advice. Is that what you do, Dan? I don't know. I can't tell how, um, you know, I, I think it really depends on what this postdoc's motivation is, but I could certainly see that if it's a limited time and you know how much time is going to be just avoid the person, put your headphones in, and get it done. Yeah, and I will say this too, Dan. I have given that advice to students who are about to leave a yeah, lab. Yeah, there's, like there's a time period that that makes sense. If it's, if it's not worth um, trying to come to terms with it, then just get done and get out. Yeah, although I will say, you know, you still have a good two months at least left in the lab. But, but let's also assume, let's pretend like this was a situation where you're going to work with this person for a more extended period of time, or maybe this is just a friend of yours and now it's starting to sour the friendship and, and you know, you don't want that to happen. Okay. So that was the easy answer. Here comes the grown up answer. Yeah. Here's, here's probably the, the better answer. And this is going to be tough, but this is 
advice I give to students all the time, because typically I think it's the best, and that is honesty. Negative Nancy, tangential postdoc, may want to run his or her own lab one day, um, so they might not realize how their words are actually impacting you personally and professionally. And even if their desired career is not to um, run a research team, they're a friend of yours. I feel fairly confident that their goal is not to make you feel bad. Wouldn't you say that's probably true? Well, I, I doubt that it's intentional to make somebody feel bad, but there are certainly people that part of their worldview to just dump on somebody else's uh, risks and rewards and success. No, that could be true. Um, but I think I think what's important is that you be very honest and open with this postdoc about how the negativity is impacting you directly. And I know that's not necessarily easy to do. And I know that gets even harder to do as there's more of a, a power differential, a position differential within the lab. Um, you're a technician, but you've been in the lab for a couple of years. You're not a brand new person. We don't know how long this postdoc has been around, but I think it's very important to advocate for yourself and be open about how other people's words are impacting you. Yeah, this is a great place for what we call the I statement, right? Uh, if you go in guns blazing and say, you're always the most negative person on earth and you never shut up about it and I'm sick of hearing your mouth, what a, you know, go on and on. Um, you can guarantee that that is not going to be effective for getting what you want. But I think there's the the kind of soft approach, which is exactly what Josh said. Tell them how it's affecting you. So, you know, thank you for, for warning me about the project, but I've talked with the PI and this other postdoc. We've decided we're going to move forward. And you could either just stop it there, like, can we just talk about something else? Or say, go, go further and say what you said to us, which is, you know, when you are constantly telling me that this is going to fail, it, you know, demoralizes me. It makes me not want to do the experiments and I've already committed to doing it. So, you know, if you feel this way, please keep it to yourself or uh, talk to the PI because I'm, I'm on this path now. So anyway, whatever it is, hopefully it can change the subject in, in one case or just shut down that, that mode of talking. And it's not you attacking, it's you saying, look, this thing you're doing is affecting me and you make the decision about what you're going to do about it. Yeah, you know, on one hand, this is such a fundamental communication principle that, that's important not just in this situation, but in a lot of different situations. But it's so hard to do. When you do this, I feel this way, right? And again, it's not, like you said, Dan, it's not an attacking thing. It's not a bringing somebody else down. It's saying, hey, you know what the reality is? I'm working really hard on this project. I'm putting in lots of hours. I think there are some positives. Uh, the PI thinks so. Uh, I'm working hard with this other postdoc. But when you say these negative things, it makes me feel like this project sucks. And actually, sometimes it makes me, uh, it impacts me as a scientist. And as you clearly know, I want to go on to graduate school and progress in my career as a scientist. Um, so I appreciate your feedback and desire to help me. But the way you're doing it now is really having negative consequences hurting, for yeah. me personally. And you know what? My guess is that this person, one, will, will be, this will be eye-opening that, you know, their words have made you feel this way. Because I bet it really is not about you, um, but it's about something with the postdoc, his or herself, their project, the relationship with a PI, the relationship with someone else, or just their own feelings about science. We know, I mean, being a postdoc can be a very stressful time and a lot of postdocs, 
um, are very disgruntled about a lot of different things and sometimes for good reason. Um, but my, my hypothesis would be if you're really open about how the postdoc's words are making you feel, he or she will probably do a complete 180 and probably apologize for making you feel that way and share that that was not his or her intent. Yeah, you could you could flip it on its head, and instead of saying how it's impacting you, you could turn this into a, a little research project at the postdoc. Um, turn on full active listening mode and be like, "You really think this is a, a bad project, don't you?" And the postdoc says, "Yeah, it's terrible. You know, so and so always comes up with stupid projects. Oh, you you know, you've noticed in the past that the PI doesn't come up with good projects. Yeah, it's the worst. You know, never does any research on the background. So anyway, you could turn it around and and merely." mirror back the statements that the postdoc is making and find out if you can get a little deeper on what is causing it. But you don't owe that to that person. That's not bad advice. And you know, as we're talking about this, um, we're talking about option two, which is the the tougher but probably more grown-up thing to do. You know, one advantage for doing it this way, for dealing with this um, dealing with this situation in this way, is even though you are leaving the lab soon, the likelihood of you encountering other situations in future labs while in graduate school or as a postdoc yourself that are challenging, the likelihood of that happening is pretty high. And so you could almost think of it as, okay, this is going to be a good practice run um, for me learning to deal with challenging situations and challenging people. Absolutely. So Josh, I uh, do you have some more advice or can I give my, my last thought? Uh, well, I think the last thing I want to say, Dan, is in general, Regardless of what happens, if you have a conversation or you don't have a conversation, don't let this person bring you down because it sounds like generally you don't think the project totally sucks. So don't let someone else try to convince you as much. Be confident about yourself as a scientist, your own abilities, doing that project, especially someone who isn't involved. Uh, You're working really hard on it, which means you obviously care a lot about the science and the work that you're doing. And so as much as you can, uh, focus on that and don't let other people uh, bring you down. Yeah. And I'm, I will add to that because I think that's that's just great advice. I think in some, some of this is uh, it's a risk versus reward. You're putting in a lot of work and perhaps the outcome is risky. And if you were a postdoc, I might say, ooh, you know, you've got to get papers out. And if this thing fails, you're going to be really up a tree. You know, if you're a grad student, it's maybe even worse, right? You're not going to graduate if you don't get that paper out. But you're a lab tech, you've got a finite endpoint. And uh, if, if there's the chance of success, then I say keep going with it. Um, and that postdoc may be putting him or herself into your position and saying, well, I could never take on this project. It's too risky. And that's true. Uh, but it's not too risky for you. And so um, I remember, I don't know, Josh, when I was an undergrad, I got handed the project that was the, you know, pipe dream project because the PI had come up with it while he was out with his friends drinking ethanol, probably. And it was easy to hand to a grad st- or to an undergrad because if it doesn't work, no big deal. And it ended up like sort of working, but sort of not. I'm sure they built on it since then. But I was the perfect person to take on that high risk project. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, that might be worth a conversation with your PI or the postdoc that you're working with is, you know, it sounds like some of the criticism that the tangential postdoc has might be valid. So maybe you can 
kind of sift through that and not be just totally down on the project, but maybe raise some of those concerns with the, the PI. Maybe it'll be a learning opportunity. You can find out, maybe find out what Dan said, like, yeah, this is a risky project, but if it turns out a certain way, um, there's a lot of promise there. And we thought you'd be a great person to do this because you're leaving soon to go to grad school. Who knows? Get your name on a third author paper in a good journal, right? <laughs> so the stuff dreams are made of. Yeah. All right, Amigdala. Well, thank you so much for writing in. I hope this was helpful. Um, feel free to follow up and let us know how it goes, um, especially if you decide to have that conversation. We would love to get a recap on how it went. Yeah, please let us know how it turns out and which brand of uh, noise-canceling headphones you purchased to make it work. <laughs> and if you never hear us talk about this on the show again, you can assume that it blew up in Amigdala's face and we decided not to talk about it again. There you have it. All right, Dan. What kind of word puzzle do we have for this week? All right, the clue last week. Creatures in this phylum have a painful sting, like falling into a patch of nettles. How how is your um, list of phyla going, Josh? You know, Dan, every time you do one of these puzzles that requires me to pull out some sort of Latin name of a species or a phylum, I'm not going to get it. Not going to do it. I mean, you were at the beach. This this could have really affected your life. The answer this week, Josh, was Nidaria. This is the phylum that includes jellyfish and coral and sea anemones. You ever been stung by a jellyfish? I have, Dan. How's that feel? Not good. Like a bee sting, but underwater. And a lot, right? Yeah, it was not great. I actually saw some jellyfish and some sea anemones um, on my beach trip. We went to the North Carolina Aquarium, so that oh, was cool. Exciting. So it is related. Um, I have not been stung by a jellyfish, thankfully. But I was at our local food co-op, and you know they have the plants outside this time of year. They've got lavender and rosemary and whatever. And I saw one I didn't recognize, so I reached down to, to look at the label. And I pulled my hand away, and it was like I had been stung three or four times oh, in my no. hand. And I thought, oh, there must be bees in it. No, it was it was a stinging nettle plant. And it was just sitting there outside yeah, the so it was sitting there. <laughs> Rosemary. And I had, I had like three or four welts on my hands for, and it burned for half an hour. Like I had been stung. So there's this plant out there, nettle, um, that that is awful to touch, and I think you can eat it if you boil it a lot. The reason I'm bringing this up, Josh, is because the word nidaria comes from the Greek nid, nidaria comes from the Greek nid, which means nettle, and it comes from a stem which means to scratch or scrape. So our winner this week. Uh, was Artemis. Artemis writes, I enjoy your podcast and etymology puzzle. The answer is Nidaria. It comes from, and then a string of Greek letters, and it says, thanks, Artemis. P.S. I'm Greek. So I thought that was pretty appropriate that Artemis actually sent me the answer in Greek. And is Greek. And is Greek. That's pretty cool. We will be sending you your Amazon gift card. Uh, Congratulations. And your puzzle for next week, Josh, if you are prepared, it's kind of a scary one. Ooh, I'm ready. In your nightmares... A little girl's doll bursts with these writhing, undeveloped insects. Jeez, Dan. I know. That is scary. It's pretty terrifying. I'm, I'm going to have nightmares about that. Okay, I'll read it one more time. In your nightmares. No, don't. <laughs> a little girl's doll bursts with these writhing, undeveloped insects. Remember, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue, and once you get it, you'll find the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com. We'll randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. Fantastic, man. Well, this has been a great show. I always love to answer listener questions. And if you're a listener and have something you'd like for us to talk about on the show, we would love to do it. Just email us podcast at hellophd.com or tweet at us at hellophd, or you can contact us on our Facebook page 
And as always, feel free to go to our website, click through the Patreon link, go to patreon.com slash hellophd, and you can become a supporter of the show. And we would love you for it. It would enable us to buy more sour beers, or probably not, really. Cactus Groses? You know, I will say this is growing on me a little bit more as the show has gone on. Uh, it's probably because you've had a little more of it. Let's be honest, I haven't drank that much. Not, not so much. Uh, we'll try again next week. Please be back with us. All right, we'll see you next time, Dan. <laughs>